Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We are not doing this, however, without considering the works we are committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. So Pastor Sam is um, in Mexico right now. He's not with us this morning. And he asked me to speak to you guys this morning about Whatever I wanted to. <laughs> so I thought we'd talk about politics. <laughs> I kid. But by way of reminder, I, I consider myself just that. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that reminds people of things that you probably already know. And uh, I always think that about, about myself and to myself. I need reminders all the time. Um, I need reminders to set reminders. <laughs> but let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, on one Sunday before Valentine's Day, <laughs> there was a man who was known to be a penny-pinching miser. And he had also neglected to make any plans for Valentine's Day for his wife. That was the dooming sound in the background there. So the big day of romance was coming up, and he hadn't made any plans, bought any gifts, done anything like that. And so on his way home from church, he saw a sign from God. Well, it was a sign, at least, that said, airplane rides, $40 for 10 minutes. And he thought, maybe, you know, he's a penny-pinching miser, so $40 is a lot. So he thought, maybe I can negotiate with the pilot and see if we can get something cheaper. So he asked the pilot, how about... What can I get for $10? And the pilot said, I'll give you three minutes. And he said, What can I get for $5? And the pilot said, Look, I'll tell you what. If you can take a ride in my airplane for three minutes and not make a sound, the ride's on me. So the guy thought, Great, this is great. Honey, we can't make a sound. We're going to go on an airplane. This is Valentine's Day. We're going to have a good time together. It's an adventure. And she's like, Okay. They go on the ride, and the pilot's determined to get some money out of the guy. So he's going to make some loop-de-loops, and he's going to go fast and take some crazy turns. But the whole time, not a peep comes from the penny-pinching miser or even the man's wife. And then they come in for the landing, 
This is a biplane, a crop dusting biplane, by the way. They come in for the landing, and the pilot says, I'm really impressed. I thought for sure one of you would scream when we did the loop-de-loop. And the man said, well, it came pretty close when I saw my wife fall out. (laughs) This is a man who knows the value of a dollar and has his priorities straight. And gentlemen, please don't forget that Valentine's Day is Tuesday. (laughs) Priorities, priorities. I was reading this this week in the Huffington Post um, that there are, in, in several states in the United States, I mean, this goes across the world, there are some crazy laws that are still on the books, things that just got added at some point in history and that never changed, even though culture has changed and, and life has changed and, and things have gone on, there are still these rules that are on the books that are still officially illegal, although I don't know if they need to be. But let me read to you just a few of these. In Missouri, it's illegal to drive with an uncaged bear in your car. Keep that in mind next time you're in Missouri. Caged bears, I think, are okay. In Maine, it's illegal to have Christmas decorations up after January 14th. I would have gotten hit with the fine this year. In New Jersey, it's illegal to wear a bulletproof vest while committing a murder. Makes sense, right? You don't, you don't want to get shot in the middle. So in uh, North Dakota, beer and pretzels cannot be served at the same time in any bar or restaurant ever. Makes sense, too, because I think pretzels make you more thirsty, so you just got a bunch of drunkards on your hand. In Alaska, waking a sleeping bear for a photo op is strictly forbidden. In Idaho, it's illegal for a man to give his sweetheart a box of candy weighing more than 50 pounds. In North Carolina, bingo games can't last more than five hours. Can you imagine the the story behind that law? (laughs) Honey, I told you to be home at 10. (laughs) In Ohio, it's illegal to get a fish drunk. Yes, so you don't want to, you know, you can't put the fish in a bottle of wine because it's illegal. Um, See the stories, right? I think about this. The stories that come behind these laws make me wonder what happened in that state that somebody finally was like, look, this is getting out of hand. We need to make making fish drunk illegal. It's silly. Yeah. (laughs) We're going politics over here. (laughs) In Alabama, it's illegal to be blindfolded while driving a vehicle. It's a good law. I just don't know that it needs to be official, right? I just don't know that anyone's trying that. But I guess somebody at some point has, or it wouldn't be a law. I mean, just, again, the, the story behind it, this is what I think about. What was the last straw that, that made somebody say, okay, we've got we to do something about this. Too many people are driving blindfolded. We have to do something about this. I think even stranger, you and I do things like these kinds of rules in our own lives. We, we do things, we set limits for ourselves, and it's because we know ourselves, right? So someone might say, hey, would you like an M&M? And you're like, oh, no, 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 I better not. Because you know yourself. You know if you take one, you're not going to stop until that whole bag is gone, right? And so at some point, then we become these crazy grace, you know, these, these grace monitors. And so we're watching other people at the party, and we're like, I can't believe Brother Ted has had two fistfuls of M&Ms. What kind of, what kind of person is that? 
and we start and we start judging people by these weird rules that we've made up that don't really mean anything anymore. We do it too often, maybe in more serious ways. I'm being lighthearted. I'm being jovial. It's funny, but sometimes we do these things. We have these maybe antiquated rules, these regulations that we've set. They're not the rule of the law of the land. They're not the law of Scripture. They're just laws, just rules that we've made up. I also read this week, and you guys might know this, um, and this is kind of common knowledge, I think, but, but it's still shocking to read it sometimes. I've read this, this week how many young people are leaving the church. Uh, and, and by some accounts, uh, Barna Group and, and some others, they're saying like 70% of young people between the ages of 18 and 29 are what they're, they're calling it dropping out, just, just bailing out of, out of churches. Not Genesis per se, but just churches across America. That's a lot of people dropping out. They say there's six big reasons, and some of them are just things that you might guess. They, they would think that uh, church has become very legalistic. Church is very judgmental of people outside of their circle. Their faith seems shallow. It doesn't seem real. There's a lot of those types of things, but there's one big rule, the big number one that people say, young people said, the reason why I'm leaving is because I want a faith system that is connected to the real world. Think about that for a second. However, you know, their experience has been that Christianity feels like it's stifling to them instead of freeing, that it's fear-based. A quarter of 18 to 29-year-olds said that Christians demonize everything outside of the church. 22 of them said, 22% of them said that the church doesn't meet the needs of the real world. And 18 of them, 18% of them said that the church is more concerned with movies and music and video games being bad than they are with meeting the needs of people in their own communities. So I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying that's accurate, especially for us. I'm saying this is their experience, and I think that we need to find a way to speak to it. This is, this is what they see in Christianity, and it breaks my heart. Doesn't it break your heart? And I can't say that they're wrong, necessarily. <laughs> that was a fantastic ringtone. <laughs> I always, so I'll be honest with you, every, there's been a couple times during worship where I'm like, oh, I better turn that buzzer off. It's going to happen. <laughs> so according to this study, what, what's happened, I think I can just kind of summarize this. What's happened is that instead of becoming the hands and feet of a Savior, a loving God, instead of seeing that in the church, they're seeing something altogether different. They're seeing legalism and Pharisees and people who talk a big game but don't actually come through in the end. And so today, again, just by the way of reminder, 
and I love this, the writer of Hebrews says that we, we ought to consider how to stir up one another, right? We ought to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And so, again, just by the way of reminder this morning, I hope to do that by just simply declaring the good news. So we're going to just talk a little bit about the gospel, maybe a lot. And I hope that that does something um, where, right where we're at. And because I don't think, you know, I think that a lot of us have this idea that the gospel is this tool that we use when we evangelize. It's for when, you know, that kind of conversion moment, and it's not, any, it's not for anything else after that. But I don't know. I don't think that's true. I've heard it said that it's not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the entire foundation of Christianity. And so I will ask you guys, and this is kind of interactive. If you guys want to, want to chime in, please do. What is the gospel? God's, God's words? Yes. What is it? A record of what was written Good. Good. Anything else? Good news of Jesus. So we're getting like his words, Jesus. It's good. Anything specific? It is. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I think we're like we're hitting all parts of it, and I don't expect if we've not thought through this, it's it's a you know there's a, there's a there's a whole big like there's volumes upon volumes of books written about what the gospel is, and more and more come out every year. It's a it's a big story, right? But let me just narrow it down. We can maybe we can just. Share this in eight words. Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And we can see this throughout Scripture. We can see this from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, that there's this thematic theme, this thematic uh, overview of all of Scripture that talks about this gospel. Because right in the beginning, it says God created, right? Right? So we have creation, and then two chapters, three chapters later in Genesis chapter 3, you guys know what happens? There's a fall, there's sin, and there's, and there's the world. And this beautiful, perfect world that God created is shalom. It's perfect, it's whole. And then Adam and Eve blew it, and then he, they broke the shalom, right? And that's called sin. So there's creation, then there's sin. And then there's a whole lot of history of people struggling with how to relate to God in the midst of a fallen world. And we see that. We see, we see that the children of Israel, there's times over and over again where they realize how broken they are and they call out to God and God comes and God rescues them where they are. And then just a mere 40 years later or something like that, they've forgotten and they're like, oh, God, that was so great, but look at this golden calf. It's like ADHD over the ages, right? Like they're now they're worshiping something that is not good, something that has not saved them, something that has not rescued them or created them. And so we see this all through history. We see the creation. We see the fall. We see the struggle. But God doesn't give up because in the Gospels we see redemption. And God steps in. I, I like this as a fun fact. Any Star Wars fans in here? <laughs> Do you know that George Lucas actually was in episode three 
So the creator of Star Wars universe, right? He kind of had, he gave himself a bit part in that movie. And he was an actor for a short scene in that movie. Stephen King does this notoriously. He kind of writes himself into the story. We have a God that's done that. (laughs) We have a God that the teller of all history, his story, if you will. And, And at this point, and Paul says it was at the perfect time in history, he says he wrote his son into the story. He wrote Jesus into the story. And Jesus didn't have a bit part. He had the main part. He is the hero. He is the hero who has came, he came into our world to rescue us and renew all things, all of creation. So this is where we're at. But it's not over because there is restoration. And this is like the, the great hallmark. This is what we read in Revelation 21 when we, we see that that world that God made in the beginning, that perfect world before sin entered, God's going to create it in the end because he's restoring all things to himself. So we have creation. We have the fall. We have some struggle. We have redemption in Christ. And then we will see all things restored. And this is the thematic view of the gospel. And you might be able to see this in your own life because at some point we were all created. We have, we have this in common. We came into the world. And it probably didn't take too long for us to see the fall. <laughs> when terrible twos were called that for a reason. I remember the first time my first son, when he was two, and I was like, oh, the terrible twos have hit. And then a friend of mine just put his hand on my shoulder and said, they never stop. <laughs> And then that fall happens in our own stories. And then there's a lot of struggle because we're fallen people and we're trying to figure out this, this life and where does God fit? Does he fit? And then at some point, maybe we've all had an encounter with Jesus. And we've experienced redemption. And we're there. And that's where we are. And there's something that happens between redemption and restoration that is really tough. And so we have things in our lives that, are, that maybe many of us are going through. Maybe it's career problems. Maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's children making bad decisions. Maybe it's cancer. could be a lot of different things and we're struggling with this because we know that on one hand we are redeemed but all things are not made perfect yet and so there's this tension that we live in somebody has said that the gospel in a nutshell is John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So this is the gospel, and I will give you, this is Tim Keller's, uh, Dr. Tim Keller summarized it like this. God himself came into our world to rescue and renew all of creation in and through the person and works of Jesus Christ, and he did it 
on our behalf. If this is the gospel, then I ask you another question. What what does it mean for us? Does that make sense? What changes because we have had this experience with Jesus? Anybody shout out a word? Perseverance? Perseverance? We're a new creation. Absolutely, absolutely. Anybody else? Restores fellowship with God, yeah. That's, that's a biggie. Gives us purpose, yes. Gives us hope. Any other thoughts? These are all good ones. The gospel gives us all of those things. The gospel gives us a new identity. We've talked about that. Sam talked about that not too long ago. And we can see just if, just a quick perusal reading of Ephesians chapter 1 will tell you these things. We're reconciled to God, as he said. We're adopted into his family. We're redeemed. We're made spotless, clean, above reproach. You might not feel that way. See, this is the tension, right? You might not feel like I am, I am spotless and above reproach. I know who I am. I know the problems that I struggle with every single day. I know the words that come out of my mouth. I know the thoughts that pass through my head. I don't feel spotless. I don't feel like a new creation. But this is what's true about you, no matter what you feel if you have put your faith in Christ. This is what's true. And so you have to choose to believe what is true or else you are believing something that is a lie. And this is what we have to put on. We, we, the gospel gives us a new identity. The gospel gives us hope. It gives us a new responsibility because it now says that we are Christ's ambassadors here on earth. The gospel makes us justified, fully known and loved, Everything changes because we are a new creation in Christ. But again, the problem is how quickly and how easy it is for us to get distracted and to forget what is true, what the Bible declares to be true about us. It's like, I don't know, if someone gave you a brand new Ferrari and you said, oh, yeah, but I have this Ford Fiesta, I'm good. And you leave that Ferrari parked in your garage because maybe it's one of several things. You don't feel good enough to drive that car. You're afraid you're going to ruin it. You don't really believe that it's free and you're just like, no, there's strings attached, so I'm just going to leave that there. And whatever the reason is, we're driving around, you know, a Pinto. A Nova. (laughs) When I was a kid, my mom had a duster. Nobody even knows what that is anymore. <laughs> Did they? <laughs> so we are driving around something old and broken and need of repair. 
When God has said, I have given to you a new identity, you are a new creation, you have something made for another world. <laughs> and you're not even stepping in, you're not even turning the, turning the ignition on, you're not even going anywhere. We forget so quickly who we are because we listen to the lies that are told to us, maybe by our own selves, our own minds, maybe by the people in our lives who would like to see us torn down. Instead of listening to the God who says, simply trust me. Trust me. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. This is kind of what Pastor Sam talked about last week. This is, this is not just for God's chosen few anymore. This is opening up to those who, it says, everyone who believes. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is, uh, that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And if you read through Romans, if you've ever read through it, then you, you kind of know that, that, he, that Paul builds this beautiful case for the gospel, starting there, and he keeps going and going and going. And in Romans chapter 4, he, has, he talks about Abraham being justi- justified by faith. Do you guys know Abraham, the story? Father Abraham? You know the song? If you don't know the story, you can probably sing the song. Every time I think of that song, I can't remember it because the, the melody that goes in my head is, uh, so happy together. And I, and like I, I get messed up. <laughs> Imagine me and Father Abraham. It's just me, I know. <laughs> so let me ask you, was Abraham a righteous man? We, we're like, mm, I don't know how to answer this. this is a trick question. Because, yeah, yeah, he was. Was he a perfect man? No. Abraham, who we call the father of our faith. Abraham, this man of great faith that said, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to leave everything I know because God has called me out. Man, that is faith. But then Abraham, who was like, man, I'm gonna, I don't want to risk my neck. So, hey, Sarah, can you go hang out with Pharaoh? Right? He blew it. He blew it. He blew it. And there's no other way of saying it. But when Paul tells a story in Romans chapter 4, he says, this guy, the father of our faith, the friend of God, the same guy that gave his wife to Pharaoh to save his own neck, this guy did one thing. He did just one thing so that he would be justified. And what was it? It wasn't a work. He believed God. He trusted God at his word. And then Paul throws in this kind of whopper of a verse, which he takes from David in Psalm 32. And I'm going to read this twice. He says, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. 
One more time. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is that heavy? I mean, really, like, am I worshiping God if I don't get this? If I don't understand that I am forgiven, and if I don't understand that what I'm forgiven for is breaking shalom, and if I don't understand what that cost God to get me from the broken nature that I had to the new creation that he's called me to, it cost him his son. And if I, if I think about that, then I have every reason to be a worshiper of the one true God. I have every reason to lift my voice and sing his praise because that is amazing and that is what the gospel does. It's here, you and I, my friends, here we are. We are the ones that David wrote about. We are the ones who are blessed because our sins have been covered and our transgressions have been forgiven. Blessed are you whose transgressions are forgiven. Your sins, the Bible says, are cast as far as the east is from the west, as if they no longer exist. Is that good news? That's what gospel means. It may be a big church word. Maybe the last time you heard the word gospel was because you were watching the Grammys and it's a category for music. The word gospel means good news, and this is the good news. But what makes us so shell-shocked, and what makes us think that it's too good to be true? What is it that tells us that there's still something else I have to do? What is it that says that I'm still the same old sinner, and I can't change? I'll never be able to change. Why is it so hard to trust God at his word? Here are some lies that we believe, and I'd like to dispel them. I do this with my kids sometimes when they're fighting, and I'll say, Judah, what, what lie are you believing right now? <laughs> because it is. It's as simple as that. He believes that his little brother is trying to ruin his life. It's a lie. He might think that, but the truth is his little brother wants to be just like him. Right? Right? So we have the same kinds of things and we need to dispel them by applying the gospel truth to our lives in every area of our lives. So if it's your relationship that you're struggling with, if it's a career choice, if it's finances or children, whatever it might be, there is an, a way to apply the gospel truth to what we're going through. So several common lies that we believe. First one is, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Like I said earlier, I know who I am. I don't know why God would be interested in me. I'm a complete failure. So the gospel truth... If that's the lie, if the lie that you believe is that you're not good enough and God wouldn't be interested in you because of whatever it is, your choices, your past, whatever it might be, even your current present situation, whatever it might be that makes you think that you are not good enough and God has no interest in you, 
the gospel says that's untrue. <laughs> the gospel leads us to find that our identity has been changed. Yeah, we were all sinners. But the gospel says your new identity is that you are a saint. Doesn't matter what you feel. Because your life is now hidden in Christ. And the gospel has changed you from sinner to saint. It's given you a new identity. Your value is not based on your performance anymore. It's based on his. And guess who is good enough? Jesus. Guess who has never failed? Jesus. And your identity is in him now. Another lie is that God doesn't love me. God couldn't love me. Same kind of thing. Same kind of, man, I get down on myself. And there are, there are two kinds of people. There are the people that think that. No, God would never, I just can't. I've talked to people like this. I've, I've talked to them about God. And I've heard them say, you don't know what I've done. I know, I know that God can forgive a lot, but you don't know what I've done. And they just don't want to accept this. God sees past that. He doesn't look at you and see your past. He doesn't look at you and see your sin. When he looks at you, he sees your life hidden in his son. He sees the perfection of Jesus. Hebrews 10.14 says that by one sacrifice, the cross, right? By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. That's us. We're being changed. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. It's a lot of big church words. It means he has perfected you. Is that weird to think about? Like you're like, I'm not perfect. I know, neither am I. But he sees me the same way he sees the son because my life is hidden in Christ. Theologians would say this is, this is the position that we hold. We hold the position of the son. We are co-heirs with Christ. We hold the position of the son. Yeah, practically we might still be working on it <laughs> at best. But God sees who we are in Christ the restoration will come. We've been redeemed. Are you with me? It's common when we're going through a really hard time, and I've been through this myself, it's common lie to believe that God has abandoned me. Going through a really hard time, sickness, divorce, child sick, hard times. It's easy to go to that first, that first inkling, that first whispering ear that says, where's your God now? Hmm. The Bible tells us God says that he will not leave us or forsake us. He is looking forward to the day when restoration is made complete and he will then again dwell among us and we will be his people and he will be our God, and we will see him face to face. And that day is coming. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, and that old serpent came in, 
Was he telling lies or was he telling truths? Half-truths at best, right? (laughs) When Jesus was fasting in the desert and Satan came with the fury of half-truths and lies, how did Jesus rebuke him? It is written. He quoted scripture. He, he, He refuted the lie with a truth, right? This is what we need to do. Whenever it is, whatever the, the lie that happens that, that causes you to shut down, to, to, to mistrust, you know, place your trust somewhere else besides in what God has said, we need to remember the gospel. I read this story about a guy who was a carpet layer. This is kind of gross, so I apologize. I was a youth pastor. I'm used to telling gross stories like this. He was a carpet layer, and... He was at a job at a house, relaying carpet. And at some point, the job was done, and he looked around, and he thought, okay, good. Went to grab a cigarette out of a pack that he kept in his sleeve, and he realized, oh, it's not there. So he looked around, and he saw a bump under the carpet that he just laid. And he looked at it for a minute, and he thought, man, if I, if I get the cigarettes, I'm going to have to take this whole carpet out and then redo the whole thing again. So he just went over to the spot, and he... Flattened it. Then he went out to his car and he opened the door and he saw the pack of cigarettes. And just then the lady of the house came out and she said, Hey, have you seen my son's gerbil? (laughs) We are so quick to believe the wrong thing. We are so quick... To, to let anything cause doubt in our lives. So quick to think that, you know what, man, I screwed up again. That's it. This is probably God will just never take me back. <laughs> we're so quick to believe what, what, is, what we're predispositioned to believe, maybe, what we're wired to believe. And, and maybe that's a cause of growing up in a household where you weren't valued, maybe. Maybe it's, it's the... It's the the state that you're in after being in a really abusive relationship. If we don't find value in ourselves, even though God has valued you so much that he sent his only son to die for you, if we don't find value, then we are believing lies about ourselves. So I wonder what lies you're hearing. I wonder what lies you've believed. Lies about yourself, lies about God. I wonder how this stunts our growth as a community. Because so many of us are trapped that we're not moving forward into the future that we are being compelled to create even as God moves in our midst. I wonder if we started refuting these kinds of lies by even going home and looking in the mirror and saying, God loves you. I wonder if we started refuting the lies in ourselves and then how we might look around to somebody else in our, in our faith community in this place and say, you know what, I see you struggling and I want you to know that God loves you even though you might feel abandoned right now, 
even though you might think that nobody sees what your struggle is. God loves you and you belong to him. Look, young people are leaving the church in droves because they don't know how this kind of faith connects to the real world. And what are we going to do about that? Are we just going to you know, spend an hour together on Sunday mornings and go home and forget about it? Or are we going to take this seriously? Are we going to start growing in our faith, in our personal faith and as a faith community? Are we going to start growing forward in this? If we could just learn how to connect our faith to the real world. <laughs> we need to be able to apply the gospel, the good news to our everyday lives, every aspect And I'll say it again, relationships, careers, your failures, your finances, your struggles, your pain, even your joys, whatever. We need to put our gospel-centered lives into loving action. But how do we start? How do we start doing this? So I I have a suggestion, and it's not original. I, I read a book by a guy named Jerry Bridges, and uh He's an author, and he, several books of his actually speak about this practice that he started doing years ago, and it's called Preaching the Gospel to Yourself. And so very practically, he said, this is what I do. He wrote a book called Respectable Sins, and this is what he said. Very practically, I'm going to paraphrase. He said, I look at myself at the end of the day, and I collect all my thoughts. This whole day went by, and here, here are the things I did that I don't think God would be very proud of. Whatever it might be. He said there are some days I look in the mirror and I thought, I think, man, I've had a pretty good day. <laughs> I didn't, didn't blow it really badly. But then I think to myself, but I could have loved God with more of myself. So I'm going to think about this. I'm going to think about, and, and he said, look, the more you pursue holiness, the more you're going to feel bad about yourself. <laughs> Doesn't sound like much incentive, Right. He said, so if we lose track of what the gospel means, then we're going to give up. We're, going to, we're just going to feel bombarded by self-loathing and, and we're going to quit. And you've seen people do it in the church. I've done it. Where I just feel like I, I'm doing everything I can and I'm still failing. And if I don't remember that it's not my performance, but it's Jesus' performance that matters then I'm just going gonna, gonna to end up spinning my wheels and burning out. So he says, this is what I do. I remember the bad, and then I apply the scripture. I apply the gospel to them. And he gave a few scriptures that he repeats to himself very often. And they're simple ones you might have heard before, but I'm just going to give them to you because I think these are fantastic. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Transgressions is a fancy word for blowing it. Isaiah 43, 25. I am he who blots out your sins for my own sake, and I will remember not your sins. Romans 4, 7 through 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord 
will not count his sin. And if there's one, if there's one verse that you will take home with you today, if there's one thing they say that when you go to church on Sunday mornings, typically people only remember 5% of what the speaker says. So if there's only 5%, let it be this. Romans 8, 1, where it says, there is therefore, you guys know it, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That ought to set you free. So at the end of a hard day when you've been struggling and you've had a hard day at work or you've had a child that's been driving you crazy and they might be 40 years old, and (laughs) at the end of a hard day of being sick or dealing with something just incomparably hard, there are scriptures that we need to remember maybe or mark in our Bibles and be able to go back to and recite to ourselves so that we don't forget what they say because we are so easily distracted. We are so easily confused. We listen to the lies and we need to refute them with this. It is written that there is, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? How incredibly simple it is and how incredibly powerful it is. And it's not new because we see this all through the Old Testament too. We see writers like Jeremiah and Lamentations when he said, but I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Same thing. He's like, I I forget and I get down. I'm writing Lamentations. And he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And David does the same thing all throughout the Psalms. We see him talking to himself. And he'll often say, oh, my soul, right? Like he's talking to his soul. Have you ever talked to your soul? It's weird. But it's good. He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. There are times when we just need the simple reminder. There are times when we just need to sit and know that He is God. Be still in His presence. Think about your day. Think about who you are. Think about what you've messed up. Because I said there are two kinds of people. There are those who are always like, oh, I'm so bad, and God can't love me because I blew it. And there's the other guys that are like, I'm good. I don't need forgiveness. i am got it all together. And, and both of those are not true. The truth is that we do blow it. The truth is that we do mess up. The, tr- the truth is that there is this tension in our lives because we've been redeemed, but restoration is still coming. The, the truth is that we live in this tension of we've been made perfect by the sacrifice of Jesus, but we're still practically struggling to catch up. And there's tension in that. And that's, that's the life of a Christian. But don't let it cast you aside. Don't let it spin your wheels. Don't let it burn you out. Don't let it get you so down that you just give up. 
Because you have work to do. I have work to do. We have work to do. God is good. God is doing good. God is in control. God loves me. Simple things. Just simple little truths. Grab onto a couple. God is good. God is doing good. God is in control. God loves me. God says he will never leave me. Jesus died for me. And he also said, there is no greater love than this, than to lay down your life for a friend. He's called you his friend. He doesn't just love you and he didn't just die for you. He actually likes you. (laughs) He rose again. He is enough. I read the story of this girl named Amy. I don't know her last name. She didn't, she didn't say. Uh, but she has a blog, so this is public information. I'm not sharing something private. She talked about when her, her, her husband died. They were a young couple. Had only been married a short while. And he died in an accident. And she was hoping, um, if you can imagine the heartache of just that in and of itself, but she was hoping that she was pregnant with his child. At least she would have some memory of who he is. And she got the test back that said she wasn't. She said, when you go through a crisis like this, you start to wonder, is God really who he says he is? Is God really good? Is God really in control? Because if he's all good and he's, he's in control, then why, why this? Why, what is good here? And she said she struggled with that. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. Maybe you have something similar. You start to hear kind of the same lies that Adam and Eve heard, right? Is, is that really what God said? Casting some kind of doubt on the simple trust that you have that he is good. that he is doing good, that he is in control, that he loves you, that he will never leave you. But like David, like Jeremiah, like Jerry Bridges, the author of the book, like this young woman, Amy, we need to remind our soul. And she said this is how she recovered. She started her mantra, And she said, I just cling to the little bit of truth that I knew. God is good. God is doing good. And I am his. This is the gospel. This is how it moves us forward with whatever we're stuck on, with whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're struggling through. If we don't believe it, we're going to stay stuck. But if we can grasp onto it, it's going to move us forward. It can connect to real world issues, refugees, a divided nation, rumors of war. Look, God is good. God is doing good. I belong to him. What can I do about these things? Deep struggles of the heart 
cancer, children, making bad choices, divorce, whatever it is, we can say God is good, God is doing good, I belong to him. He will never leave me. Tell that baby the gospel. <laughs> I, I implore you, if it's a career choice, if it's a child, if it's a relationship, you can speak this truth to yourself. We sang it this morning. I am yours. I'm yours. So make this a habit, a holy habit. This is, uh, again, by the recommendation of Jerry Bridges. Preach the gospel to yourself. Simple. A lot of us hear that, preach the gospel thing, and we get all like sweaty-palmed. Oh, my gosh, I don't want to, I don't need to teach this to anybody else, right? Well, I think this is what happens. I think that once we, we start saying it to ourselves, once we start being able to apply it to all the areas of our lives, pretty soon it becomes pretty fluent. And maybe, maybe God opens those doors then. But make this your habit. And may it transform your daily life into one that's closer to God, the God who made you. And as we close, and as Alex comes up and leads us in a song, I'm going to ask you guys to say this with me. Very simple. You are good. You are doing good. Jesus, I am yours. You say it with me. You are good. You are doing good. Jesus, I am yours. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.